wait a minute, wait turn, a minute. On the radio. turn on the radio My homie got a new show and it's time to play it's it though play it I hope right. you got in tune, got he in talking tune. bigger business Welcome to the Startup Showcase, I'm your host Scott Katoon Joining me on today's show, partner from Light Bank, my good buddy Vic Biscucci third. Welcome to the show Good to be here, as always <laughs> As always um, So today's show is going to be kind of fun I think Vic and I are going to talk a little bit about some of the things we're seeing in tech um, Some of the problems that I think some of the founders at least from my end, are are incurring and, and perhaps some of the ideas and things that he's seeing as an investor that could help them or help investors. Uh, before we do that, I want to make sure we plug. I would love you guys to follow along, to play along. Uh, we do have right now scheduled one call-in. It might be another one. We'll see. So There's a little bit of time for call-ins from you guys if you want to chime in. It is 312-981-7200. Um, and, of course, you want to follow us at Technoria on everything. Follow me at Katoon. You can follow Vic at Victor Pascucci, P-A-S-C-U-C-C-I-3 on Twitter and Instagram. I got to tell you, Technori is becoming a good follow on Instagram because we've got kind of my random little sound bites, but then we've also got you know pieces from the podcast, snippets, quotes from founders, quotes from investors. So I think you should check that out. Um, so why don't we get digging into it, Vic? Um, what's been going on with you this week? It's been, what, two weeks since you got here? What, what, are you, what are you seeing in the tech space? What have you been spending your time on? You know, we're seeing a lot of people that are getting super nervous about what's happening in the public markets. Yeah, right? me, you know? me too. And I, I think obviously there's reason for concern, but at the end of the day, it's a, this was like a self-imposed disaster, yeah. right? We gave a bunch of people unlimited access to capital without governance and thought it was going to turn out well. Are we talking about WeWork? <laughs> take your pick, right? Yeah, take your pick. Take is your exactly. Pick. So, like, I think this is a good segue because there's, and this is talking whether you're in tech right now. If you're just a, a Joe or a Jane sitting out there listening to this, and you're you're like, well, this isn't me. It is you because the public markets is you. It's your retirement. It's everything else you're right. in. Um, and eventually, those public market comps do track back to private company investments. It's totally, totally part do. of the game. And and I also would argue that, like, at least in our space, in the tech space. We're. I said this to somebody this morning. The, the the people who are right now managing my wife's pension, my wife's right. money. Uh, I manage my own money, which is why we're broke. But the <laughs> uh, the people who are managing her money, they're looking at charts that are six years, four years, four months, one month, one week. That's what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. They're charting what happened in the past. You and I are charting what happens tomorrow. Right. We're looking at the charts that are four years ahead. I'm looking at technology that is being adopted by like, you know, I don't know, maybe a thousand businesses or less, maybe a thousand people or less. That's like globally, that's nothing. It's so insignificant. Right. But in a couple of years, they pick up steam. I mean, you look at like Zoom as an example. Right. When Zoom was the rage, it was like wildfire right. through the tech, through the world of like people who had to do business to business communication. And so if you would ask me, like, could I invest in Zoom now privately? Yes, I would have. Would I invest in it publicly? Maybe not at the price of it right now, but when they right. came out, yes. Because I saw the use case grow right. over years. And so where I'm kind of at in all this stuff is I, I think and you can talk to the investor side, like how do you make sure that that founders and people in charge of these companies are are sort of accountable. I think that the startup founders themselves need to be looking at themselves in a larger in a larger role. Like yeah. I, I'm trying to build this thing now, but like what is it in the future? And it's not just about a dream. Yeah. So I think a couple of things to weave together there, right? You and I, we invest in people first and foremost, especially because we invest at the earliest stage. Like yep. we are more. Well, they have quali- pocket link. Right. We are qualitative, right? Not quantitative. Yep. 
like, yeah, we'll see. Do they have a model that eventually gets to positive unit economics? Eventually. But the, the, real, the real thing is my best investments, the companies that went public and became really strong public companies or exited at really nice multiples on an M&A, it was all in, it was more intuitive than it was quantitative. Yeah. Right. Because you're investing in people. And, and where we're going with that is, right, we're going somewhere in the future with them. And what they're building has to be about more than them. Like yeah. these companies that have imploded, it was all about that person and their ego. It wasn't like I need to save the world with, or businesses need to communicate better. Yep. Right. And so does that mean we needed another telecom or like Zoom thing? We had plenty of other great technologies that are out there that worked just as well. But you had a founder that had a belief and he's like, no, I'm going to win and this is why. But if you would have done the analysis, even as a private company, you'd be like, we got Avaya, we got Cisco, we yeah. got five other startups doing it all at scale. There's really no reason, right? And I think that what I want to do is we invest in those people that are going to create something and we have to have that reason to believe and see it. Now, what I'll take it back to our original public market comments, like if you're a good founder with running a great business with good governance, get the fuck, get out, <laughs> right? Go public, go public. Like take, if you've got, if you've got that hundred million in revenue, if you've got SaaS margins, if you're growing at a healthy growth rate and you're not burning cash like crazy, take your company public, right? Yeah. Get out. And I, and I think that's the thing is like, I, this is just a, a conversation that I have internally with founders and, and you're having them from a different angle because you're the guy holding the bag of money that they want. And so they say the right things, or at least right. they try to say the right things. So they say the things they think you'll like. Right. I'm having a conversation with these folks and I'm saying, what is your end game? And don't say oh, my exit strategy, blah, blah. What I want to know is like, how are you going to make this meaningful and scale it up for... He just whipped his guns out, folks. So if you're watching this on WGN Radio, uh, you can watch the video. The, the, the shirt's coming off. Um, but no, there, there's, a, there's a thing that I'm starting to pick up on with certain founders. We've talked about this before many yeah. times with Kyle Nakasuji at, at ClearCover. I love to reference him because he's a my person... Guy. He's One, he's your guy. My guy. Two, he, he came into this show, not this one, but the, the podcast, and, and it was like, here is the problem that I'm trying to solve. Here's how I could solve the problem. But more importantly, here's how I solve the problem for thousands or millions even of people. And that is a, that's a perspective thing. And you've got to know what is the the global impact that I can have financially. That's going to attract the sharks to want to give me the money to give me the fuel to be able to do it. And the ones that don't look at it that way, I think they really are, you know, I think it's dangerous. Well, you and I have talked to a lot of startups together, right? And inevitably, I, I, I get to the point where I'm asking, why you, why now, why this? Yes. Right? Guys like Kyle, guys like Woody Levin from Extend, like, you know that already. Like, it just kind of comes out. Like, they're doing something bigger than themselves. They're doing something bigger than their company. And there's some great grand vision of why the world needs this. Yeah. Like, does the, like, does, do we need better insurance? Yes, but that's part of a grander vision that he wants to insure entire households and make sure they have what they want when they want and aren't being bombarded. Yeah. And you're building a company that can provide it to them at a rate like they've never seen before because he's not wasting money in advertising. He's not, he's built his tech from the ground up um, and not hurled with a bunch of legacy stuff. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think so. What we're going to do is I'm going to take a commercial break. Because, uh, you know, people got to get paid around here. Right. Um, and then what I want to come back is talk a little bit more about what you're seeing from the standpoint of investability. Mm-hmm. So, like, I look at all these companies and it's like, it's a great idea. If I, could, if, I, if I had an infinite amount of money, I would give it to you to, to see what would happen. But 
I don't know if this is investable. And I think founders are looking at their business not in an, inv- they're not looking at it from the investor perspective. And mm-hmm. I think it's a mistake. So we're going right. to take a quick break and I will come right back after this. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. Sitting here with my friend Vic Pascucci. We were just talking hello, about everybody. sort of the, yeah, hello. Uh, just talking about sort of the, what we've been seeing in founders and things. And we got into a conversation. I wish you guys could listen while we're not on the air because I think that's our best stuff. But there's some <laughs> reasons that we can't play that. Um, <laughs> But the, uh, the the gist of this is we were talking about how getting some control mechanisms and founders and, and finding out if things are investable. And during the break, we were we kind of honed in on on the market of um, the, a company that's going to be calling in here, which is basically trying to help people offset their student loans uh, by having the employer contribute to it. And we won't get into that. We'll wait for the call in for that. But the, what I was getting at with that conversation with Vic was the founders a lot of times have a blinder because they want to build a product that solves a certain problem, but they don't realize that they've got to sell that product to a bunch of different people in order for them to ever have a shot at it. And the two people that they have to sell to first is, well, I guess three people, they have to sell their team on wanting to build this, but Mm -hmm. they have to sell an investor on the ability to gain a return. And then they have to figure out who is the person most likely to buy this product. And that person may not be, most likely is not who you think it is. It's actually the person who stands to gain the most financially. And if you go in and you try to sell, in the case of, of the student loan thing, if you try to sell this directly to uh, the person who's the poorest in the room, right. the likelihood of you scaling that is very low versus if you went in like, well, all right, what is the most value that could be extracted from this service and then finding who would pay the most because they gained the most? That is the same approach that I think founders need to be taking to the, um, to the investors. Right. What exactly is this? that I'm building that has what opportunity to make money and then how will you make money in it? What is it, Vic, that you hear founders when they pitch you every day? What are they missing when it comes to how you're going to get your money back? Most most founders focus on, on the exit and not the investability of their underlying model. When I say the underlying model, like, is this a business model that can generate a multi-billion dollar business, right? And that's what's making investables. Like, they have to, and what they don't understand is not just yes, it's about the exit, but not just about the exit. It's like, how am I going to, as an investor, get a 10x? Like, yeah. remember the model. I raise money from other people. I'm responsible for delivering them a 10x return. That's your venture benchmark. Like, yep. <clears throat> I've got to see how my, you know, if I'm doing, you know, a million dollars on an $8 million pre, give or take, or maybe two on eight, it's a $10 million company. At what point does my ownership percentage there, like, return my fund. Yep. Like, so if I'm managing a 50, if I'm managing a $150 million fund, each of the, maybe I'll do 20 deals, each of those deals has to be able to pencil to remake back my entire fund, right? Entrepreneurs don't understand, a lot of them don't spend the time to understand venture economics yes. and what makes venture capital really work, right? What makes it work is people give me money and I have to show them a return. And not just like a 1X, a 2X, like it's gotta be a blistering 10X fund. If you want to stay in this business, yeah. right? You can be a one-time fund and you can blow it and go, but that's what the entrepreneurs have to understand. So when you come in, you've got to show like not just your hockey stick, but this is how I build a valuable company over time that persists. That's going to generate, you know, I like to see a hundred million dollars a year in revenue and that's what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I mean, I think we've said this before, you, people should check out the book, Venture deals with Brad Feld mm-hmm. and the rest of them, and I think it's a great. Yeah, he just updated it too. Yeah, it's a great book, 
And I think it's important because it, it goes through the structure. Mm-hmm. So you can understand from a VC's perspective of what they're looking for. But what it's missing, maybe I haven't read the new version, but maybe it, it's in there. What it's missing to me was context. They went through the math and that that's all good and well. But what they lacked is, and this goes to the founder, honestly. And it actually annoys me when I hear founders running around asking me and other people if they can make interest to raise capital because... I don't have to even look at your projections. I don't need to. I can tell based on what you just told me that you have no chance of being in mm-hmm. that revenue you know, sphere. Yeah. That is really, quite honestly, is um, uh, what I don't even know what the word I'm looking for. It's not risky. It's not ridiculous. It's like the whole combination. It's a it's non-starter, like, right? Yeah. It's, you're, it's, it's, it's actually like dangerous. Right. And here's the thing. like We talked about before, right? Think about the venture economics. I've got to build. You've got to build. We have to build a portfolio, right, of 20 companies. And there's, yes, everything has to pencil out to return the fund. But the reality is there's only going to be one or two of those 20. And I'm saying 20, it's usually a little bit more than that. Yep. Only one or two of those 20 that actually make the fund back, yeah. right? You've got a couple people that'll be like a couple people, a couple companies will be like zombies, like half of them, and they're yep. just not really doing anything. You'll have a couple that they'll just not work and implode, and you'll have a couple that'll do okay. And there's usually in each fund, like one or two, hopefully more the better, yeah. That just blow the doors off in returns. Yeah, and you know they got to be a team that's investable. Like, is this team investable? Are they going to be able to raise capital after me? Depending and, which stage I'm at. And right? that's like that's what investors are looking at with the founder. But what I think the founders are missing is there's a little bit of real. You got to be real with yourself. Yeah. Like, is there? Does this comp? Am I pursuing something that can be a nice little business, or am I pursuing something that actually has? Like, I, I use this as an example. It's a very bad example in the sense that he's. Very successful and sold his company for a billion dollars, but like Chris Gladwin with uh, with uh, CleverSafe, mm-hmm. the, and now again with Ocean, he recognized an opportunity that had a gigantic financial reward, but he knew that it was going to be you know almost a decade right. before he'd be able to realize any of it. But what he was building, if done properly, was a very clear, gigantic win. Now it's a, a lot of question marks as you're going to get there, sure. but he was looking at it in a global way. Right. And every move he was making when he was raising money was telling you, like, I'm not telling you you're going to get paid back in two years. I'm not even telling right. you, know, like, if if this works, it's going to be gigantic for everybody. If it doesn't work, then we're all going to lose. But I'm realistic right. about what I'm doing. I see founders who are like, oh, this is my beachhead. I got to get to this. And if I get to this, I can raise more money. And if I get to this, and I understand it. I get it. You're trying to organize in your, in your yeah. head and, and whatever. But what you're, you've got to understand is... Is there a, a marketability for this to be in a position at some day in the next decade-ish where we are making so much money and our margins at scale are so good that I can afford to take money off the table to return payment right. to my people? Or I see, um, and this is another one, is these, these companies that are building something that once they've raised a certain amount of money, they've become, and you see this in media all the time, they've become too expensive to be bought. Right. So now they're just in right. jail. Right. No, that happens. Like we see that we've seen it here in town. We've seen I've seen it in the portfolio. Like if like your two two options for exit, right? It's you're going public or you're getting acquired. If you're up, that's why you've got to know your market, your investability. Like if you're in a company, right, and your natural acquires, take private equity, and yep. you either sell it to a strategic buyer, someone in the industry, or wants to be in the industry, or you sell to private equity, right? Now. What you've got to look at, if most people in your industry, let's take, uh, I don't know, let's say you're um, you're in the electronics business, right? Oh. Um, and maybe that's a venture business, maybe it's not. You're in electronics business. But most companies in that space only get bought for three, 400 million, right? 
if can't you, raise it a seven hundred million dollar valuation. Right. If kind of you know the people that are the natural acquirers don't pay a premium for your business. Right. If people don't pay a premium for your business, you're probably not a venture company or event. And that doesn't mean you're bad or good. No. It just means like not everyone's a just means you're venture. in the wrong room. Right. You just like it's just not right for venture. And you could be an awesome business, do great for yourself, do great for your family, do great for your community. When I say great, like make a lot of money for everyone involved, but you're just not going to be ventured. Yeah, venture backable company. Yeah. No, I I think it's something that is a a major education piece. And I also think that there's a lot of newer VCs that are in the space that don't realize the ripple effect that they create. And and it's like, if you're an investor who's looking at tomorrow's return only for you to get out and then you don't care about what's after that, it's like, this is all, at the end of the day, this is all on the the responsibility of the founder to understand who they're in the room with and what Mm -hmm. deals they're putting in front of because these deals have ripple effects forever. Um, So anyway, we're going to, we're going to do a little commercial here and I've got to do a quick read, but um, we are going to come back at the end of the news with, uh, with our first call in. And so hopefully you guys are checking into that. You go to Republic.co and sign up, register to invest. You can invest for as little as 10 bucks, which is pretty sweet for news at 10. Watch WGN, uh, Micah Mateer, Joe Donlan, Dan Roan, and Chicago's most trusted meteorologist, Tom Skilling. For TV News at 10, watch Chicago's very own WGN. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm joined with my good friend Vic Biscucci from LightBank. We're uh, talking talking tech, talking investment. We're about to uh, see who gets off on the elevator to pitch us again. little elevator pitch action. Uh, I forgot to mention this. I don't know how I forgot this. The second exit that I've now had on equity crowdfunding happened. It's not publicly released yet. So, but I just, I trust all of you so much that I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> we'll keep it to ourselves. My, yeah, we'll keep it between the 30,000 of us. Um, my good buddy, Arisato Loomis at Ellison, sold his his company to, uh, sounds like Sunglass Hut, and the owner of Pop Bellies and Sunglass Hut. So, nice. uh, that is number two on my investing via equity crowdfunding with an exit. I do not know yet if I'm going to get any money on that one, but I do know that I got a ton of free sunglasses out of it, which <laughs> is way more than I invested. So I'm perfectly happy with that, which is just one more reason why you all listening should be signing up at Republic and actually investing in these companies. Two exits in less than a year. I turned the first one, Zenblend, around $150 investment, got me 500 bucks. I, I wish I would have put more money in. Sure. I only threw 150 in because they called into the show, and she offered me some free stuff, and I was like, all right, you get it. Um, <laughs> that's how savvy of an investor I am. You can win me over with free food. All right, Vic, are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do all it. All right, let's do this. Let's see who gets off the elevator. Hello? Justin, are you there? Hey, yeah, I'm here. All right. Tell us about your company and give us the pitch. Yeah. So my name is Justin Potts. I'm the co-founder of Eventify. Eventify is a marketplace lending platform for income share agreements, allowing students to finance their education debt-free. With Eventify, investors can buy equity in students' future incomes and then earn a return when they succeed. So think of it like a marketplace for human potential. We're addressing three key problems with Eventify, the first being access to capital for students. With Eventify, we don't require a credit score, co-signer, or collateral, making financing super accessible to college students across the U.S. We're addressing inflexible monthly payments that are associated with traditional student loan options with 100% income-based payments, no interest, and no principal due. And we're enabling an alternative asset class with the potential to make a difference. Investors are investing to make an impact, earn a return, and diversify their portfolio. And they love ISAs. We already have 200 investors signed up, and it's been completely organic. Uh, my co-founder, Tim, and I were recently students, and we've experienced the effect of student loans firsthand. So we set out to build a product that we would have wanted to use ourselves. Uh, to date, we've processed over $20,000 in funding from investors on our platform, 
We issued our first three ISAs, and since we started working on this in January, we built a black, uh, platform for both uh, students and investors registered with the SEC, became the first ISA company approved to work with Silicon Valley Bank, and worked with our legal team to draft and finalize our ISAs and investor agreements, and we did all this with less than 75 k in funding. We believe the future of financing is transparent, affordable, interest-free, and incentive-aligned, and we're excited to be building Eventify to become a leader in this space. People can go to invent, invest in Eventify at republic.co slash Eventify, A-V-E-N-I-F-Y. They've already raised a little over $40,000. They haven't been on for very long, which is great. 75 days, 73 days left that they can invest. Uh, 161 investors, just to give you a little feedback. Um, Vic, so I'm the good cop. Vic's the bad cop. Here, right? <laughs> just, I'm just getting it out. He's the one wearing the, the black shirt, and he's got the muscles, and I'm here in the white shirt. Um, and I have muscles, but it's under a layer of, uh, of fat. Uh, <laughs> but here, here's the deal term, just to, to make sure everyone knows. Minimum investment, $100, 20% discount with a $4 million value cap. Um, I, I just want to get out and say, one... Um, I love that you have gotten all the stuff that you guys have gotten off the ground with 75K and the banks and the people you're talking to are real, and I love that. I want to also add that on the idea of this, I am a gigantic fan of the model of of rather than trying to settle damage after it's done being, I'm going to school like myself, I have $200,000 in debt uh, courtesy of Northwestern, I have to figure this out after the fact. I am a much bigger fan of solutions that look at it like you can invest in the future potential of these individual students who you get to meet and talk to, and then I will cover the the thing, but I'm investing in it. It's not just like a you know a rich uncle. And to that effect, the only thing I will say, and then Vic will, will jump in and, and ask you questions and, and hopefully be gentle with you on on terms and on, on your your you know your your metrics and so forth. But I really, really, really think that the market for this is insane. Because of this, the venture capital market, as Vic knows better than anyone, is a gigantic bet on a founder. It's a bet on a person. You might have a great idea. You might have tech. 50 people could have the same tech. But this one person is a difference maker. In the model that you have, you are essentially, basically creating economies of scale for all of these individuals who can afford to invest in individual people's performance and saying, would you make a bet on a person? And you choose whether or not that person is a good bet. And I, I really, really love the potential of that because I, I do think that this is a, another investment vehicle for people listening to be able to make money. To me, this is no different than buying a bunch of condos and then just like trying to rent them out. That's, that's how I see it. Do you, do you agree with my assessment or, are you, or am I going in the wrong direction? Yeah, no, I think you're right, right on a lot of that. Um, you know, we're building a marketplace for human potential, and we want to build a way for people to invest in other people. Um, and just like you're able to make angel investments in companies, uh, and you evaluate, you know, the product and the team, um, you know, we think that you should be able to do that for people as well. Um, and if we can make uh, more accessible, if we can make financing more accessible uh, for people everywhere and give them uh, the opportunity to, uh, you know, invest in other people, we think that's a, a win-win for both of the parties okay vic is spinning a baton around his wrist right now so it's his turn <laughs> vic go for it <laughs> so we'll start with the disclaimer of anybody that worked with me or seen me in investment committee meeting realizes i'm 99.999 times out of 100 the fanboy the seeing everything is great and sounds like you fist. were a lawyer in your yeah, previous life like, vic. this is going to be great and so now i have to take the the um the position that's usually contrary to to how I interact with 
with uh, other investors and, and founders. So, um, all right, let's start, Justin. Like, what have you learned from the other marketplaces in lending that have gone wrong? Like, we've seen things go really bad for the leaders in marketplace lending, right? We saw it for Lending Club. We saw it from my, in my portfolio firsthand at Prosper. Um, and what what have you learned from those? Yeah, I think I think we've learned a lot, and I think the biggest thing uh, that we've learned and, and that we're applying to Abinify um, is giving investors the opportunity to interact with the platform and more than just a financial capacity. Um, and so, because income share agreements are an investment in people, we want to give investors a way to increase their potential upside and in investments on the platform. Uh, and so, just like when you invest in a startup, you'd be able to work with the founders, advise the startup, make intros. Uh, you know, whatever it might might be, uh, we're building tools on Eventify to help investors, uh, help students. And so whether that's uh, job referrals or connections or feedback or career advice, uh, whatever it is, we want to give investors a way to interact with these students uh, in a way that's more than just uh, giving them money. And so we think that'll be a big differentiator from other platforms that's purely a financial transaction. All right, but let's dig deeper to what we saw with where these marketplaces end up eventually the supply and demand side gets lopsided, right? And so you have too many investors or more than likely, especially with the trillions of dollars we have in student debt, you've got more students trying to offload their debt than individuals that can buy. So where these things all end up from peer to peer is to true marketplace, which means big institutions come and buy. They have to, otherwise you don't get to scale. So if I'm UBS and I want to buy some whatever great securities and we'll have to dig into how you're going to underwrite and everything else, how does that, how do you eventually scale this human personal interaction if at the end of the day, those humans are only going to scale to a certain element and you're going to have to either securitize the asset and or let big institutions come and buy blocks or portions of blocks? Yeah, I think I think we're open to letting uh, larger institutions come in, and we've done a little bit of uh, preliminary research into that. Um, I think the difficult part with ISAs is that uh, because they're such a new financing instrument in practice, uh, institutions um, aren't quite ready to uh, invest in them yet. And so we're able to use this marketplace to help validate our underwriting model, get uh, you know a lot of initial traction, and, and get these initial students funded, um, and then we can start working with institutions down the line. Um, and there's also a big opportunity to explore things like corporate partnerships. So, uh, you know, imagine going to uh, Stanford for computer science and Tesla wants to pay for your degree uh, and you can go work for them for two years after uh, and, and help pay it off or something like that. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to work with institutions here that's still uh, aligned with the students and, and focused around uh, helping students be successful. Cool. I, I, mean, I think I, I like where you're going with this. I think that there's a lot of potential, obviously, as Vic kind of mentioned, that there's a lot of angles and directions that this can go once you hit a certain mark of scale. Um, but I, I certainly like this. I think this is one that I would definitely uh, throw some cash in on, on Republic, and I hope that uh, the listeners out there do as well. Where can people go to follow you and interact and, and ask questions and things like that? So we're pretty vocal on Twitter. Uh, so our handle is just EventifyHQ. Um, students can follow us on Instagram. So we're running a, a couple campaigns on there. Um, and then you can follow me at uh, PotsJustin on Twitter and my co-founder, uh, Timo Sheridan, T-I-M-O. Awesome. Justin, thank you so much for calling in, and, uh, and I hope you guys have a lot of success. Yeah, thank you.
All right, take care. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and, and Vic and I are going to talk a little bit more about what we saw, or what we listened to there. I wish we saw. I wish Tim, I wish Justin was here. Uh, what we heard from Justin and, and sort of maybe drill down a little bit and, and mm-hmm. see what we've got. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I am your host, Scott Catoon, joined here with Vic Pascucci. Uh, so we just heard the call from Vetify. We mentioned this already um, before we got into this conversation with Vetify, with Justin. That I am a fan of this idea, and I actually, I'd love your feedback on this, because I, especially on, like, legitimacy, like, is this possible? Right. Because here's the reason I'm I'm interested in this. Yes, like Justin, I am a a person who had to go to college and pay a ton of money, and and I look at it like I'm losing double, because not only do I have to pay towards a ton of interest, no principal, but that's money I'm not investing in, so I'm losing on paying on interest, and then I'm also not making interest on my end, so, like, I, I hate that. So... What I look at is the only way I see this being a gigantic win, and this goes back to our early conversation about founders thinking globally and and Mm -hmm. thinking economies of scale from the get-go. I actually view this, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, like the debt packages that got us in trouble back in the day. I don't want to go like into the bad stuff, but I look at it as a third-party buyer going, can I as an investor buy a block, call it SPV, whatever you want to do, of a thousand kids who have the risk profile of X. And there's different tiers of risk profile, just like there are different tiers of credit. Right. And I say, I'm going to buy, I'm an institution or I'm an individual, and I'm going to go ahead and put down a million dollars for the debt of a thousand students, knowing that I have the ability to have returns of this, this, and this. Right. And, the, and the risks sort of rate the returns. Right. The third party, if that third party marketplace is available then this thing can become gigantic because as you start to think of the gig economy of the future, I'm basically investing in a thousand tiny LLCs. That's right. how I look at it. So let me start with, you know, we know my, my preferences on both fintech and energy, <laughs> yes. right? I tend to love anything to do with new energy. And, and, and yeah, anything You're around insurance. This energy, is a little insurance. It's got a fin. I mean, fintech is one of my things, right? Yep. Um, and then a lot coming up in energy as well. So, if you if so, I tend to like these things. Now, the going back to the VC side of it, like he needs a crisp answer, like Lending Club, yeah, what like not Lending good thing. Club, no good, right? Prosper, same thing. He's trying to do the same thing. Now, I love the income sharing agreements. Yeah. I love them. I think they're the way to get us out of this huge hole that's there. But when you're talking about it, like I'm going to have give people personal connections. That doesn't scale, and that's not what you were doing. And yeah. so, what you do—that's not the interest of the real money. Right. That's the problem. Like, I love the idea as a, as a, as a regular Joe, yeah, being able to communicate yeah. and find out if I like the kid and I like their potential, sure. and then I want to invest. Yeah, I get that. But like, where this thing becomes real money, the like where they can actually afford to pay for what they're going to be right. taking in capital, they need this thing to be eventually on the like, market. He's got it. Like, it's got to operate at scale. In personal relationships like this, in this type of thing, may not scale. Um, I would say they are not going to scale. Yeah. And also, when you have personal interactions, yeah, that might not go well all the time, yeah. right? And and then I you're start to deal tell you what kind back. of career career path you should have. And it yeah. doesn't look good. And then I take your career path advice because you did an income share agreement with yeah. me, and it doesn't I don't work like out. I don't like my career. Yeah, and then it's your fault, yeah. not mine. Because why would it be mine? Of course, I'm the you know magnificent millennial that you know <laughs> deserves everything, but. You know, hey, so I think easy, he, easy, easy, <laughs> easy. I think you guys have to think about it. And then he's got to get to how do I really scale this thing, right? And so his distribution channels, like he's talking about corporations, yes. Doing the one to one combat thing like to punch in a bunch put a bunch of cash on a Facebook and Google and yeah. it, like that's just gonna get more expensive and less effective. Like we've they seen They would that. find more value Facebook here in Goodwill. 
They'd find more money making a charitable contribution to wipe off your debt than they would be paying their service. Yeah, and I think so. He's got to find a way to distribute. Like It's a marketplace, and he's got to build a marketplace at scale. And that means he's got to acquire buyers and sellers. Otherwise, there is no marketplace. And he's got to find a way to curate that, and he's going to have to do massive channel development on both sides. Otherwise, it's not going to work, or it's going to sputter, or it'll just be an okay business yeah. that might be a nice lifestyle business, but not a venture returning business. So I, I agree with everything you just said, and that again, this is like honestly, people, this is not even planned. We just sort of rolled into this, um, like everything else, like everything else in life. Uh, the beginning conversation about thinking bigger comes down to the analogy I use with Chris, Chris Gladwin, where. If you're looking at this as like, what are the things that I'm going to need in order for a secondary or tertiary marketplace to be able to get involved? I'm going to need to be able to rate the risk. I'm going to be able to need to have certain individuals of certain subgroups paying more. He's got to know how to underwrite. Yeah, it's underwriting. underwriting. You're going to have to have that as the 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 basis of this mm-hmm. and then you can onboard the kids who are trying to I mean I don't think that's going to be hard then you get the investors that's harder but if you've got a complex risk profile but you can get that got, so first of all it's financial services you got to know how to underwrite first yeah. and foremost right it's got to be solid and it can't be some black box thing it's yeah. got to be right on and so it'll be a lot of different things that'll go into that the career the school grades they've got i mean lots of different things you can pull on there most of these kids will probably thin file or no file so you're not going to pull credit and he doesn't want to pull credit i don't think he should either um but i like the credit profile will even matter for them no but you got to start with like he's got the big why his big why is we got trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of student debt and the current financial tools that are out there don't work they're not going to work right and it's going it's doing nothing but creating a bigger problem and it has ripple effects. And so he's got to show some passion for that big why. Yeah. And then he's got to show how this like income share agreement marketplace is going to solve, you know, a twelve trillion dollar debt problem this country has. Yeah. And how he's gonna then get really granular. Like this is how uh, one agreement gets done, and this is how the investor makes money, this is how the student saves, and by the way, this is how I make money. Yeah. Is it a percentage? Is it that I don't know. But yep. then we got to see it. And then, it's a, like I said, it's a marketplace. How do I get a marketplace to scale? If marketplaces don't scale, if they don't keep That's growing, not a marketplace. it's not a marketplace, right? Yeah. So I'm sure, and you know, it's the elevator pitch, so we didn't get into it. But like, first, it's the ISOs or the income share agreements, yeah. right? Then what's next? Like, is there another type of agreement you can put on there? Is there another type of security? Is there other things you can start doing? Because eventually, um, you know, I, I think you got to layer this onto the different tracks that individuals. So, like, let's say you pivot after college into something that's not related to it, that should kicker yeah. either a different rate of return or something, yeah. and then I can risk profile that and then sell it on a secondary market. Right. So you do a refi. On yeah. Things, right? there, there, so like, like how SoFi started. Correct. Like, and and I think on this, the part of it that's kind of really important that we didn't get into, and, and honestly, he should be thinking about it, but not talking about it is. The strategic investors that I would be talking to is going to be like the Goldman Sachs of the world, the actual people who, yep. uh, I would have said Deutsche Bank, but that's a bad idea right now. Right. Um, the groups that do play ball in this space and say, like, I'm building something to test that you guys could get an early insight right. on, and then you're going to fund me testing this, basically. That is a high return, even if it's not capital return, to groups that care. Right. And then layer in the investors that actually would have returns. I mean, he, he's got a double bottom line story, right? Yes. It's totally. good for the world and that's every big Y does and he should. And then you got to be able to return money just not just to the venture investors, but to your actual investors on the platform yeah. as well as to the students, right? And so how is he going to get there? Like, can like, it'd be awesome if you can tell a story about, I'm going to distribute through the schools. I've got one school that's agreed to put this in their loan option packages 
as these kids go through school. You right? want to know what his, his competitive advantage is in this? Because we always look for this. Right now, student loan interest is so insane, and the amount of money people are, are indebted to because they don't start paying till half a, a decade or more later. Mm-hmm. The interest is so high, it's almost usury, right. that if I were to offer a kid a 10% return or a 5% return, that's so much bigger than what they're paying on right, right. now anyway, right. that I actually have a huge advantage to say, I'll pay you 10% with a kicker that brings you down to 5% if you pursue this or this, or up to 15% if you pursue this or this. And then that gives me margin to be able to go to my initial marketplace investors and say, the opportunity, the risk spread is, is 10%. So you can make or lose 10% swing here. But then when you go to the secondary market, you have the ability to, to margin in now like 5 right. 6%, which if you package a 1,000 deals and the profiles alter, that's a yield play. Yeah. I mean, you got to be able to fractionalize and get it out there. And like we talked about... But you got to think about that now, yeah. not later. Right. Absolutely. Because it, it, if you wire things too hard, you don't get the chance. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, it's super interesting. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I love having these, these call-ins that we can really like dissect on. Right. Uh, where do people go to follow you on everything and, and keep up with what you guys are doing? Uh, Twitter at Victor Pascucci three um, is probably the easiest one. I'm out there on LinkedIn a lot. Um, and what do you, yeah. we have like 30 seconds? But LinkedIn, like Twitter, was my place for DMs, and I was talking to everyone. Yeah. LinkedIn to me makes a lot of sense, but I feel like it's like a wasteland. It's gotten too noisy, yeah. like, and I think LinkedIn's tools have gotten less effective because I can't. Like, I'm not going to instant message message on that. I'm their just sales navigator thing, like, I get. Things that have nothing to do with what I do at all. So, um, yeah, but you know, it's a big platform. Got a lot going on. Big, I'm going to go with Twitter for now just because yeah, it's fun for me to, like to answer messages. All right, we're going to take commercial and then we will uh, come back with the news.